Do you all remember uh, the children's song? There's different variations of this, and so I'm going to tweak it up a bit. But, you know, if you're happy and you know it, what? Clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Don't do it. See, I know, no, no, I, we could have done it. I know we could have gone there, but... Um, if James were to take that song, and I'm grabbing it because it, you know, it's just now you're going to be doing that all day today, but, and I hope you do this with it. I hope you take James, uh, because if he took it, I think that James would, um, would do it this way, and I think it would summarize his whole book. He would say, if you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. That is the message of the book of James. Uh, your faith in the finished work of Jesus, if true faith will necessarily show itself. And today we are coming, I mean, we've hit the mother load now, okay? We're at bedrock. We've come to verses 14 to 26 in which James gives the theological grounding for his argument that if you are saved, you will show it. He's gonna root it in the Old Testament. He's gonna root it here in the words of Christ. It's a, it's a whole section, 14 to 26, and it's so important, uh, we're gonna break it in two. So, so I'm gonna take the first part today and then Rob will take the second part next week. We're gonna do 14 to 20 this morning. Rob began his message last week with a statement. I, I simply wanna quote, he said this, it's not that you should not separate faith from works, it's that you cannot separate faith from works. Again, we're, we're saying the same thing in different ways over and over. Now, right here, James is going to tell you why it is impossible. You cannot separate faith from works. Now, why does he keep pounding this? Why, you know, every time Rob and I get up, we, we keep reminding you, hey, you've got a coin in your pocket. Uh, faith the, the, the heads is faith, the tails is works, and if you're trying to move one of them, you, have, you no longer have faith, you know? We, we keep reminding you of the inseparability. Why? Because James does. Why does James keep reminding them who he writes of the inseparability of faith and works? Because there were some in these churches, these small home churches, who were separating it. That's why he's writing to them. There are some who professed faith in Jesus, but they lived contrary to what they professed. They did, it didn't match, their life didn't match their profession. That was what was happening, and so he's addressing it. It's always been that way. It will always be that way in the church. There are some of us in this room online who profess faith, but our lives don't demonstrate it. It's a really sobering passage, it tells us that there is such a thing um, as false faith, a faith that's not uh, genuine. And so what, what James has been doing, and I want to clarify this, and I will at the end as well, is he's contrasting true faith with false faith. 
okay? I'll, I'll say this at the end, I'll remind, but I'll remind you. He's not contrasting faith and works. He's contrasting true faith and false faith. True faith is that faith by which a person puts their trust wholeheartedly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They rest upon the finished work of Christ and works will flow from that. False faith is a faith by which a person professes their trust in Jesus, even says the right things, even does the right things. Is it church today, listening to me somewhere online or in the room, but your life, quite frankly, your life doesn't... um, You don't have the works in your life that match your profession. Not perfectly, you know, only one was perfect. That's who we trust in. And the stakes are this. Can I be so blunt to say, if you have true faith, then you are in a right relationship with God because of the person and work of Jesus Christ and you are secure in God forever and you'll spend eternity with God. If you have a false faith, you can go through this life looking like you are saved, And you are not, and your eternal destiny, quite frankly, is apart from God forever. I mean, I can't look in your heart. I don't have anybody in my mind at all. I'm just saying this is what the Bible teaches because this is what's true of of Christ's church for all time. There's always those who have a false faith. I'm telling you, the consequences are massive. So in verses 14 to 20, I'm gonna walk us through what James how James grounds this truth in God. He's gonna do three things. He's gonna begin with a biblical assumption. That's verse um, 14. And then he's gonna go to a practical illustration. This is really simply laid out for us here. And finally, he ends with a foolish objection. So there's the three parts to the message. A biblical assumption, he assumes something. You'll see it in the rhetorical questions. And then he gives a very practical illustration. There's no, it's nothing there, but just fact, and we can really understand it, it's very good. And then he ends with a foolish objection. Let's begin with the biblical assumption. If you're not there in your Bibles, please be at James 2, verse 14. A biblical assumption. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says says he has faith, but he has no works. Can that faith save him? He begins with two rhetorical questions. A rhetorical question is given by a person who expects a certain answer. And the, the grammar in the Greek here is along those lines so that when, when he says, and I want you to answer this, what use is it if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? What's the answer? What use is it? It's useless. See, it's not, this is not debatable. It's a rhetorical question. Second question, can that faith save him? What's the answer? No. Now, some argue that this save here is more like uh, rescue from a difficulty or trial. I believe, and, 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 and many would hold, I, I think this is, no, this is salvation. Can that, faith, can that faith put him in a right relationship with God? No. Now, here's the thing I want you to notice here. Um, notice what he compares. He says, can someone, can someone who says they have faith but don't have works, okay, can that faith save them? He's not saying someone has faith that saves them. Can someone's work save us? It's not faith works. It's can someone who says they have faith but they don't have corresponding works. Is, is that true faith? The answer is no. Can that save someone? Can that, 
can that put, a, put them in a right relationship with God? The answer is absolutely not. It cannot. A faith that is void of works is of no use. It cannot save. Let me give you a practical illustration, James says. He just moves right through it. That's understandable. Verse 15, if a brother or sister, this is the context of the church. He's writing to Jewish Christians. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you, notice this, a brother or sister is in the church, and one of you in the church says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, rhetorical question, what use is that? Tell me, what use is that? It's of no use. Okay, we're, you're, we're tracking. It's of, it's of no use. Even so, or your translation may say this, because this is what it means. In the same way, okay, in the same way that your words, okay, are empty and useless, in the same way, verse 17, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. I wanna be clear that his illustration is not, because we're gonna be applying this text in a moment, it's not, he's not addressing when you are driving and you pull up stoplight and a guy is selling papers, you know, which is great. They sell a paper and you know, I need to help someone in need. This is not what this is talking about. It's not addressing if you're in some city somewhere, in Nashville, even Franklin, whatever, and someone, a homeless person, someone in great need comes up to you and they ask for a, a handout, you know, they need help. Just so you know, that's another topic. That's not what he's talking about here. He's speaking about needs in the church. It's much closer to home. I mentioned a few weeks ago, the early church was pretty poverty um, weighted. I mean, people didn't have much in the early church. Now, they were wealthy because he's going to address it, but they didn't have much. And it's true that there would be people in the church, it says, when it says um, without clothes, it's, it, the, the Greek word is naked. You know, it means naked, but it's not they're, not they're naked. It means they don't have adequate clothing. It's a cold day and they don't have anything to keep them warm. That's what it's saying. And it says, and they don't have food for the day. I.e., this is a, a family, a person who, they, probably, they don't have enough to eat that day, okay? This is the need, and this is in the church. So how do we take that, it seems very extreme to us, and bring it over here, and how do we set that right amongst ourselves, just in, in this room? How do we do that? Well, we would note in principle, there's a Christian brother or sister who has a need. Are you gonna do anything to help meet that need? That, that's it at its basic principle level that we can grab onto today. You go, well, you know, I'm, you know, there's probably no one in this room, I don't really don't think that's going, I don't know how I'm gonna eat today. There's probably no one in the room that's going, I, I'm not, I don't have a coat today. There's probably not, but, but there are people in this room with real concrete needs. Are we aware and are we giving people words when we need to give them more? That's what he's saying. It's interesting, he uses the word dead. I mean, you, do you ever think about, you, know, you, don't, you think about faith, how can faith be dead? Well, it implies that faith is living. Faith is, as we like to say here, you know, it requires active faith. That's what true faith is. It's a living faith. Faith does. We know that death is separation. Think about the connections James could be making here. You know, when you live your life and then you die, 
according to the Bible, that's not the end. Death is not the end. Death is just the point of separation when your soul, who you truly are, is separated from your body, you're dead, okay? And eternal death is when your soul is separated from your God forever. That's what death is. And so he, he, think about what he's saying here. When you, when you separate faith from works and you separate those two, he goes, boom, that's dead. It's of no benefit. Now, before going on to the foolish objection, because I think we get this, I want to address a question some may ask. Some, some of you may be going, Lloyd, are you saying that when I know of a need in the church and I, I just say to someone, I, mean, I hope that goes well, or even this, I've done this, I do this, and it's appropriate. Well, let me pray for you. But, but I, don't, I don't tangibly give them what they need when I, when I can. <laughs> you know, and I don't, are you, Lord, are you saying that, that I have false faith? Well, let me say this. It's interesting, is it not in this text? He doesn't say, and if you can meet the need, meet it. So, so we can't go there. We, it's, uh, he just assumes there's something more you can do than give words. So when I don't do that, I, do I have false faith? Well, let, let me put it in a different context to help us. As a friend or a parent, do you meet every need in your friend's life or in your child's life, can you meet every need? What's the answer? No, so, so if you don't do that, would I say to you then you're not a good parent or you're not a good friend? Would you say that? Rhetorical question? <laughs> uh, the answer is no, right? Uh, someone reminded me last service and I think it was very good. He, he reminded me, he said, Lord, you know Jesus didn't meet every need. Oh my gosh, he didn't meet every need, then he's not a good savior, no. The grammar here, uh, is very clear that James is talking about a person whose life is characterized, characterized by saying things but never doing things, okay? That's, it's, it, 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 and the question is, is, you know, you gotta ask yourself, is your life characterized by, you know, every time I meet someone with a need or whatever, I'm always, well, I'm always quick to hope them, wish them well, be warm and be filled, or even the, the translation here could be, you know, God will meet your need, you know, stay warm, you know, he'll get a meal. Do we say that or do we take out some money and do we take out food or do we take food over there or do we give them the coat off our back or do we do something? What is your life characterized by? Not that you meet every need, but do you and I possess a faith by which we go through life and quite frankly, we just don't, we don't meet needs. It's a good test of faith. Well, let's go on to the foolish objection. Look at 18 to 20. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Now, verse 18, quite frankly, is 
probably the most difficult verse in James to, to understand. I know that sounds strange because there's some other things he says that seems hard. But um, scholars have been confounded by verse 18 for generations, quite frankly. And there is no, you cannot find a, an interpretation of verse 18 that satisfies all the problems. Now, y'all, may I say that that's true in many verses in our Bible. Doesn't mean the Bible's errant. Doesn't, it means we're less than able to fully discern many things. There are no less than five interpretations of verse 18. No less than five. And all scholars will tell you, there's not one of them that, that uh, satisfies all the objections. Now, when I say all that, I, what I'm saying, what, I'm, what it's referring to is, you know there's no punctuation in Greek. Commas, quotation marks, that, that doesn't exist. It's all in the language. And so when they translated this, they had to put commas in certain places. They had to put quotation marks. And quite frankly, we're not sure where they go such that we're not sure when the objector, someone may well say, the objector, you say you have, and then we don't know where that ends and where James steps back in and James is speaking. We, we can't unravel this thing. And so what I wanna do, rather than belabor ourselves I want to say, and this is often what we'll do with difficult texts, is we step back to say, what's clear? Because that's really fuzzy. And you look at the context, you look at the bigger context, and you look at the whole book of James, and, and, and there is no argument for us, is there, that what James is saying in this context and the whole context is that faith without works is dead. There's no question he's saying you cannot separate faith from works. So when we step back from that, uh, here's a translation. This is the New Living Translation. There's a lot of thought that goes underneath this, by the way, but I think it communicates what James is saying. Look here on the screens. It, verse 18, now someone may argue, okay? Here's someone says, some people have faith, others have good deeds, okay? Someone says that. And then James will say, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. That, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? This person is saying, hey, there's people who have faith and there's people who have works. And James says, that violates everything we've been talking about. I've been teaching. You can't separate these two things because you can't have faith unless there are works. And I can show you that I do have faith because there's, there's evidence in my life. Is everybody, everybody with me on that? So that's helpful to say, this is really what it cuts down. And by the way, can I say this? Even that doesn't satisfy all of the objections and the nuances in that passage, rather interesting. But we step back from the hole and we go, that's what James is saying here. And then verse 19, I call this the nuclear option. It's like James has been trying to help us understand this and then he just hits the red button, bop, 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 and the bomb, the nuclear bomb drops because he looks at us, really, and he's looking at these Jewish Christians and says, you believe that God is one. You know where that comes from? It comes from Deuteronomy 6. It's called the Shema. I'm telling you, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one, is as natural to a Jew as you and I saying uh, hello. I mean, it's just, they did this every day, at least twice a day, for sure, they would, they would declare the Shema, the Lord our God is one. So to these Jewish Christians, when he says, you say that the Lord is one, they, they would go, absolutely. It's like, now we agree upon something. And then he hits the nuclear option. Well, so do the demons. What, what, wait, wait, James, what are you saying about, what are you saying about me here? Well, here's what James is, is pointing out to them and to us. 
that to have a faith, which is we're calling a false faith, but to have a faith in which we say we believe and trust. And even, I mean, this is absolutely orthodox. We, we believe the truth of the Bible and everything. We even believe that Jesus died on the cross. We believe he rose. I mean, we could say all that, but if we don't trust it for ourselves such that it's evidence in life, then, then James is saying false faith is just like demonic faith. Now that should send shivers up our back because do you know what he says? It sends shivers up the back of demons. It, it, they have a visceral response. Do we? It's not hard to understand this when we remember the gospels and, and we recall, you can read the gospels and do you know that it was the demons who knew who Jesus was way before the disciples. Now think about this. James is writing this and he knows that demons knew who his half-brother was before he ever did. Well, how do we know? Well, when you read, read the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter one, a man is delivered from a demon. And here's what the demon says, okay? He says this to Jesus. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of Israel. And the disciples are standing there going, they don't even know that Jesus is that yet. Mark chapter three, this, this is fascinating whenever the unclean spirit saw Jesus, whenever unclean spirits saw Jesus, they would fall down. Watch it, the demons would fall down before him and shout, you are the son of God. These are demons. They are not redeemed or saved, but they're orthodox. What if I changed the pronouns? What if I said there was a man who threw himself down before Jesus and said, you are the son of God. What would we do? we'd take that man and baptize him because he's a Christian now. Maybe he's not. Because <laughs> he just said it, but do you see that? It's, it's sobering to think, isn't it? That false, when you're comparing true faith and false faith, I'm telling you, false faith is the faith of a demon. I want to reiterate what Rob said last week, uh, uh, please know James is not saying and we're not saying, he's saying that you have faith, now you have to add works. Works are not an addition to true faith. It's not an addition, you don't add works, you gotta go do something now, that's not true faith. That would be like saying, okay, you need to add some heat to the flame. Uh, the flames are hot. I mean, that's what a fire is. You can't separate these two exactly. True faith, I mean, I mean this. When you, when you have true faith, please know this. If it's true faith, it's inseparable from works. If you have genuine faith and, and trust in Christ, then it, 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 you, it, you can no more remove the choices you make that reflect Christ than you could remove heat from a flame. There's a simple question this text is asking, and I'll say this to those who have put your faith in Christ, okay? Is my life characterized 
by choices consistent with God's character. This is not legalism. Listen, this is grace, saved by grace, all is of grace. But we must ask the question, is my life characterized by? Listen, people, there is no one that's perfect. There was only one, and he's our greatest hope, and he's our confidence, and he's our perfection, not our perfection. But you've got to ask yourself, look in the mirror, don't forget who you are, remember? Does my, is my life characterized by God's character, or is it not characterized at all by God's character? If it's not, then you've got you've got a question, and we go through these seasons, okay? We go through rebellion, whatever, but you gotta ask yourself, is my faith true faith, or is it, is it false faith? And that's the question for you today. What kind of faith do you possess? I want you to close your Bibles. I want you to set them down to the side because you're gonna need your hands to do what we're getting ready to do next. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come out. They're gonna get set up here because we're gonna pray in a moment. If you're gonna be praying with up front, you know, we're doing this in this month. We're having people up front, including myself and others can come down too, but there'll be some people up here to pray with. I'll have you stand in a little bit. You can sit, stand. You can come up here and kneel. But, you know, we're not gonna leave our text without praying, going, well, what do we do with this, Lord? And, and you've got some needs that we wanna be able to, to pray for and pray with. It's a part of our corporate gathering. I want the ushers to begin handing out the offering baskets. And this is, listen, if you have true faith, then you will give more this second time the offering goes around than you did the first. I'm so glad y'all giggled because last service, they just, they just sat there stunned like, <laughs> did he just say that? I mean, are you kidding me? Yes, I'm kidding. Um, listen, there are envelopes in these baskets and we want every person sitting in this room to take one, um, young and old. Uh, uh, here's what I want to tell you though. Do not open the envelope. Do not put it up to the light. Do not shake it. Take an envelope. Everyone takes an envelope. Um, I'm asking that you, that you would not open this envelope until you're leaving church today. So if you're serving the next service, you're gonna have to pack it away, put it in your purse, put it in your pocket. Everyone takes an envelope. Now, it's President's Holiday Weekend. I know some people are gone. We've got a daughter gone, so I'm gonna take an envelope for my daughter because she's in this service. So if you have a child, don't, don't grab the envelope if your child's in the Learning Center, but if you have a child, a student, someone who's in this service, take one for them. If your spouse is not here, Okay, take one for them. If you're a guest, take an envelope. If you're visiting your kids over the holiday weekend and you're not gonna be here next week, take an envelope. <laughs> Everyone takes an envelope, okay? And uh, you're gonna hold that envelope. If you're a guest, please know, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna make you do something with that envelope or ask you to you know, write something or, or get information from you. We want everyone to have an envelope. I want you to know Rob and I take seriously when we give you a, a, a specific application. Most of the times we will say, you know, based on this text, you know, ask the spirit to guide you in your application. And, and I'm gonna do that as well. But I'm also, we're going a little further this time and giving you a very concrete, specific application. We would not do that lightly. And, and I'm gonna explain that in a moment because uh, it's a serious thing to think that way. But we, we think that we wanna move you, invite you in this direction because it, it uh, how would I say this? It moves you towards active faith. You remember wholehearted life? 
It's not just what, it's what you think, feel, desire, and choose. The wholehearted life, right? It, it, it's, it, it involves active faith. That, that you, we're not, we're not, we don't have true faith if it's not active faith and living faith. And so this is gonna be that step of faith that we can uh, walk into. We can't ignore James, and so it's so, this was just one of those, it's kind of like low-hanging fruit, if I can say it. I mean, the applica- what, what he says here, if you see a brother or sister in need and you can help, don't, don't just, don't say be warm and filled. Um, if you can help them, because true faith's gonna do more than that. And so we're gonna, we're gonna focus on that. Surely at Fellowship, there are those in need, and we're gonna be inviting each other to step into those needs. How many times have I prayed with someone when I could have helped them? And again, it's don't, you know, don't beat yourself up on that. It's a characterization of your life. So is everyone, have, have we passed out all the envelopes? Joe, are we good? Everyone, everyone have an envelope in the room? Okay. Now, in that envelope is either a $10, $20, or a $50 bill. And um, what we're asking you to do, it's very simple, isn't it? It's, we're gonna say, would you pray that God would direct you to a specific need, a person, a family, whatever it may be, that you could help meet that need. Now, you could give the money or you could buy something they need, whatever it may be. Um, would you make it your first priority to meet that need within the body? Because that's what this is, okay? Make that your first priority. Now, I recognize some of you don't go to church here, and so you, well, make it a need in your church home. Some of you don't have a church home. Well, make it a need outside. And even if you're at fellowship and you've sensed the Lord saying, you know, this person doesn't go to our church, whatever, but I, we want, we, I feel like we need to meet that need. You have total freedom. I'm just saying, let's make the priority. Let's start with the needs within our body, you know, we did this. Some of you will remember a few, over 20 years ago, we did this. I'll say this, we were much smaller then when we, when we did that, uh, but it, it marked us in a very healthy way. It's inappropriate. Not trying to be gimmicky, but trying to, to do those things that move us toward an active faith and growth in God. Now, this is gonna be laborious, maybe, but I've got to address some issues that some in the room could be feeling. And I say this because I've done this before and I know this is, I I believe these things are true. Three things I wanna talk about. First, I waited till everyone had an envelope because had I said to you at the very beginning, this is what's in the envelope, some of you would not have taken an envelope. God bless you. But you wouldn't have taken it because you would say, I have $50 in my pocket. I don't need to take the church's money. I, I totally get that. Some of you would feel that. And you know, it's not a bad thing, but I, I do wanna say, this is a corporate exercise of faith that we want everyone involved in, okay? And so your step of faith, part of it for you is to keep it and do what we're asking you to do and not hand it to me afterwards and say, look, I can take care of myself. Or No, don't do that. This is... It's not yours to do. It's your, God has put that in your hands now. So your step of faith is, I feel, I feel terrible taking this. You, well, talk to God about it, you know. Um, don't give it back. Some may, and secondly, some may feel this is no step of faith at all. And we, we were talking about this and some, some may say, well, what's the, what's the step of faith here? You just handed me 
Maybe, you know, some in the room who've got $50 in an envelope, you just handed me $50 and I get to be Santa Claus to someone. Whoop-de-doo, that, that didn't take any faith. And, and I get that, you know, but I'm gonna tell you something. If you take it seriously, you're gonna find that being a giver is harder than you think if you take it seriously. God meets the needs of his people through his people. So now, you, now you've got a responsibility that there's a need somewhere that God in his sovereignty is inviting you to meet and you're gonna need to seek God to, to show you and to guide you to this person, place, whatever it may be, you know what I'm saying? So think of it this way. The step of faith is to take seriously and pray, God, this is, there's a reason this happened and I've got, I, I just don't wanna willy-nilly throw this around. Where do you want it to go? And to believe that God will guide you. That, that takes that's faith and trust that he's gonna bring something, someone, someplace to mind. That's true faith. The third thing I'll say this is there are some who are que- may, you know, questions the stewardship of the money that you've so generously given. I totally get this and I'm glad you're thinking it. You know, some of you are going, we give to this church and this church is just giving this money away like that. And I don't mean to be sarcastic when I say this because I say it so many times. So my question to you is, whose money was it when you gave it? I didn't know it was yours. You know, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic, but I'm saying if you know Christ, it, it was never yours. You know that. And so we give because it's to the Lord. It's all his. And the church itself, it's not the church's money. It's still God's money. So we got to pray. God, how do we steward this money? Because you own it all. Now, I will say this, you know, is this the right and the best stewardship of of the money right now. Can I say to you, I'm not, I'm not for certain, okay? That's the truth. I don't know, know for sure, you know. Um, what I can say is we have prayed about it. Um, we've paid attention to how God has been working in our body. Uh, you know, we're, we're down in terms of numbers. I've said this many times because we are, you know, and some of the decisions we made over the last year and a half, two years, and People gone and our giving's down. God, you do this when giving's, all, you can go through all this stuff. We, we debated it as a team and, and, and uh, oh, no, but what about this? You know, and we do all that and then we say, Lord, what are you doing? And you know in the book of Acts, a wonderful phrase, they would say, it seemed that the Holy Spirit was leading us in this direction. Yeah. That's the life of faith, I'm telling you. It's not, I know for sure, I, I rarely know for sure, but it seemed... <laughs> And so you go, you trust God and you take a step. And I'm just telling you, we are taking a step of faith even in doing this. Over a month ago, before this was ever on the radar, there was a family who gave a gift to the church and said, use this gift however you want. It was an unrestricted gift is what you call it. And uh, that we've never figured out where God wanted us to, to put that money. And I want you to know when, when the idea was brought forward, we weren't even thinking of that money, okay? But as the week progressed this week and we said, Lord, do we do this? We just, well, I think that would be a use of that money. Rob called that family on Friday and said, you know, you gave this gift a month or so ago. This is what we're gonna do with it. They were so excited that that's what's gonna happen with their money, they asked, well, does that cover what it's gonna cost to do? 
And Rob said, well, it, it covers just over half. And they said, well, we'll give the other part. Just so you don't try, just so you don't try and figure this out, it's $35,000. Three services here, three services at Franklin. It seems that God is inviting us to jump into this adventure with him. Okay, enough qualifications. Uh, over half of you are gonna meet in fellowship groups tonight. Maybe you do it as a group. I don't know. See, there's no, no I'm not telling you what to do, but what if your group said, ah, we're gonna do it this way. That's totally fine. Maybe it's individually. I, I, it's trust the spirit to do that. One last thing. When you come in these doors next week, it needs to be given. This is not something you, you hold, I'm, I'm asking you. We've prayed about it. It's not something you hold on to till July. Oh my gosh, I gotta still get, no, you know, do it now. You know what faith is? Faith's doing the next thing in front of you and you won't go through the, if you'll pray about it, God will show you and do it now, distribute it now. Don't hold on to it and wait. We're asking you. And if you feel the pressure from that, well, I, I really believe that's what God would have us do. Do it this week before you come in next week. Let's stand together. We're praying these days, these last few minutes of our, our services. Would you pray about what God might, trust God, trust God ask him, show, God, show me where this goes. Some of you can sit down when you pray. I'm having you stand now, but please know you can sit and pray. Uh, we've got a team, team up here to, to be people up here to pray with you. I'm, I'm looking, there they come. I'm gonna ask you, Kevin, again to come out here. Who else is praying? If, there's a, if you're in this room right now and you go, hey, I'll pray with people, come on up here and stand with me. Would you do that? Because I don't see anybody standing over on that side. I mean it. Yeah, just come on up here and you'll pray with someone. I'll pray with someone. Anybody else can come up here over on this side. Shelly's over on this side. I'm gonna be right here. We're gonna be sung over. Let's pray. And then I will benedict us in a moment. Let's go before the Lord. Through the doubt and the fear of this life, I believe. Through the fight and the war for my heart, there is peace. Cause I know that your grace is a will that won't run dry. I will take up my cross and lay down my life. I Grace is a well that
the book of James, they call it a book of Proverbs because it's so proverbial, these statements he makes. And you know, he knew the book of Proverbs. I wonder if he had this in mind even as he wrote this passage. I'll send it out, use it as our benediction. This is from the message. So a paraphrase of Proverbs 3, 27 to 28. Never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Don't tell your neighbor, maybe some other time, or try me tomorrow when the money is right there in your pocket. Amen. And God bless.